Well, good morning. Good to have you with us. I liked that part of the song where it talks about when the snow melts. Now, we're not even close to that yet, but you know how you get at the end of the winter and you're ready for the winter to be over? And you're ready to start to see the thinning of the snow. Now, maybe, now you'll have never lived probably in Minnesota, so you don't fully understand my appreciation of that whole thing. We get snow for about a week, and we're waiting for a week for the snow to disappear. But in Minnesota, you'd get snow in October, maybe November, and you wouldn't see the ground until springtime. If we can up the lights, it'd be great. And what, what kills you is waiting for the snow to clear. Well, the good news is, just kind of like that snow would finally melt away, Jesus is coming. We can wait. It's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Just as spring eventually gets here, Jesus come. We don't know the timing, do we? Sometimes we have an early spring. Sometimes it's later spring. But we know He's coming, and we rest in that. Well, this morning I, we're going to finish up our time in Habakkuk. But as we do that, and as we prepare for things this morning, I'd like us. And Connor prayed a little bit for the church and for the for the folk in, in Afghanistan. I'd like us to take a few moments to do that again. Because as I think about the things that are taking place, there's some real hardship and difficulty and challenge there, isn't there? And so as they kind of see their world kind of collapsing, as they see their world in many ways kind of folding in and kind of what had been in some ways a normal over these last 20 years as some of our guys there that were there brought some stability, some of that is changing. And so we want to pray. Our world is filled with change. And so we have to accommodate and recognize the reality of the constants of change, but we also should be praying for those that are experiencing that challenge and that hardship. So let's take a few moments to pray. We'll pray and ask the Lord to bless our time, because even as we read Habakkuk, what's going on? Change, right? Habakkuk is asking God to do stuff. He's asking God to intervene, and God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to do some things, but change is going to happen. So let's be praying, and then we'll jump into Habakkuk. Father, this morning as we come and as we think about the things that are in front of us, Father, I would ask that as we take this time to look at Habakkuk, that you would continue to build into us the character of Christ. That, Father, you would continue to build into us that challenge that the the righteous individual lives by faith. And Father, we see that theme continuing to be resonated as we particularly look at the second half of the book of Habakkuk. And Father, we would ask that you would build those values into us. And Father, as I say that and as I think of that, I think particular, Father, of followers of Jesus in Afghanistan right now who are going to be facing a challenging period of time. Father, because their faith is not going to be accepted and tolerated the way it had been up to this point. Father, they're going to be persecuted more severely, more heavily. And Father, the whole culture is going to shift and it's going to change. And so, Father, I think of the people of Afghanistan today. I think of the churches that are in Afghanistan today. And Lord, we are trusting that you're going to be at work. We don't always understand what you're doing. And Father, I'm sure right now that many in Afghanistan are wondering what in the world tomorrow is going to bring, let alone today is going to bring. But Father, I would ask that you would make your presence known, that you would allow people to see and feel and experience the reality of who you are. Father, we would pray and ask for peace and harmony. 
But Father, I also know that I am fearful that that may not be the case. But Father, as we think of them and as we think of ourselves, Father, we would ask that you would be at work. Allow your spirit to be at work, your presence to be at work. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if we would this morning, turn with me again to Habakkuk chapter 3. Chapter 3, I want to look at verse 2, and I'm just going to get a running start for today from where we kind of left off last week. So last week we focused in on verse 2. And it it says here, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. And as he looked at that and he talked about, we talked about those things last week, we kind of read it from a, little diff, from a number of different translations to kind of catch the, the essence and maybe have others as they were translating kind of saw it and processed it. And as we walked through this last week, we kind of highlighted four particular areas. Listen differently. Habakkuk was listening differently than others listened. He was listening to the Lord while others stopped listening, closed their ears. He chose to be amazed. Again, we have these things that happen around us that we get about. But he chose not to be numbed and passe. He chose to continue to be amazed at the amazingness of God. Are you amazed every morning when the sun comes up? Do you live in a spot or look out a window at times when you get to watch the sunrise and you're amazed every day when the sun comes up or you look at the horizon and the sun goes down? Are you, do you choose to be amazed at the creation that God fashioned in its order and structure and its beauty? We have a tendency to feel blasé as things kind of flow along. Oh, we've seen that already. We've experienced that already. I've heard about that already. We kind of chalk it up as old news. Habakkuk was saying, I continue choosing to be amazed. He was saying, God, reveal yourself. Do you see what it says there again? Revive, I stand in awe of your, revive your work in these years. Make it known. Reveal yourself. And show mercy. Lord, please show mercy. Mercy. Out of that, and out of that conversation, and out of that prayer, and out of that declaration, what takes place, as you listen to particularly to some of the commentators, they would say what takes place is that Habakkuk kind of sees God in a different way, or he kind of gets a vision of God, a sense of God. And some theology guys would say what's taking place is what they would call a theophany, kind of this picture of God. And so for the next few verses, he starts to describe God and talk about God. And I want to read through that, and then we're going to kind of go through that a little bit more slowly. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today as we do that. It says, I see God moving across the deserts of Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plagues follow close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. 
He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the, enti- the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Cushan in distress and the mountain or the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it an anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the seas? Were you displeased with them? And he kind of pauses and he, and he asks this question and he answers this later on. Some of this gets answered a little bit after this, this vision of who God is, is, is walked through. Now you are sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Outward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and the moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. As you listen to that, there's a part of us that kind of comes away with both awe and fear. There's a, there's a part of this hugeness of God. It's kind of like you're looking at the mountains in a distance. And all of a sudden, you see like someone behind them choosing to stand up. And then they start to walk towards. Who just dwarfs everything around. And that's part of the imagery, I think, that Habakkuk is seeing and communicating. This amazingness of God. Let's go back and just kind of walk through it a little bit. He says, I see God moving across the deserts of Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. And to talk about how he's coming up from the south and coming up, coming up. Now, what happened to the nation of Israel? They came up, didn't they, as they came into the land. And God is coming from where they were established. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. Do you recognize this continues to go on? It continues to go on. Every evening, the moon and the stars come out. Now, we might have clouds that block it, but they still come out. And every day, the sun rises. The splendor, the majesty, the power, the brilliance of God continues to manifest every single day. The creative nature of God, the the power of God. When you walk outside and you'll see the trees and you'll see the flowers that bloom and, and you'll see the amazingness of our creation. When you walk to the ocean and you see the rolling of the waves, the beauty of the sand. You need to recognize that that is the splendor of God continuing to be revealed. The creative power of God continuing to declare and to announce and to remind us that the awesomeness, the powerfulness, the mightiness, the imaginativeness of God continues to be on display. Now, our world will say it just happened. People will say it's just nature. It's mother nature. No, it's the creative work of God continuing day after day to reveal itself. It's the creative work of God day after day continuing to say, God did this. 
every day. Creation continues to declare the amazingness of who God is. His brilliance and splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Brilliance. When, when, when God comes, things change. In power in his hands. You know, we talk about the creative nature of God and how he just casts out creation, how he spoke creation into existence. But the fashioner, the, the, the end working of the fashioners in their hands is in that they make and they shape and they mold. They create. See, the power of God. And Habakkuk is talking about this awesome power of God. When the scientists, I guess in the 30s and early 40s, started to delve into the atom. And they started to realize that they could split the atom. And they started to talk about the power that was just in the microness of our creation. And they start to feel powerful. Tony was showing me a picture of his son shooting, doing some shooting today. And we got talking about some of the weaponry that the United States has and that other countries will also have. And there's power in that. None of that holds a candle to the awesomeness of the power of God. Because all of this awesome power that we think is really awesome power comes from breaking down, reutilizing, and trying to put into play the stuff that God created out of nothing. So the scientists who have created atom bombs and the scientists who, have, who are splitting atoms for technology, for science, and for other things, and who are tapping into the resources of power that are there, they're tapping into something that God created. They're tapping into something that he engineered and that he made out of nothing. See, when we start to think about the power of God, we're talking about someone who has power that transcends our wildest imaginations, that transcends our comprehension, and really takes all of this power that we see displayed around us and says that's like a firecracker compared to like the biggest atomic bomb you can ever think of and imagine. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to who God is. And the back of the season and says... Here comes God where his awesome power and his hands flash where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him and plague follows close behind. What was Egypt's response to God? Let my people go. Let my people go. 
No. And over time, and through various plagues and pestilence, God revealed himself. And he said, go. Depart. Leave. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, just looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. Are you ever sitting in your house when a truck drives by? And you kind of feel that a little bit? It cracks us up. Now, as you guys know, we've sold our house. We're now living in an apartment. Third story. Not like this little petite place. You know, there's like 30 or 40 apartments just in our building. Even having elevators kind of nice. We're up in the third level. Old Hooper runs behind us. It's, I would probably say it's at least 50 or 60 feet at least from the corner of our building. And every once in a while, a big truck drives by. And I'm standing there or sitting there. It's, I don't know if it's the potholes or what. <laughs> it could be. But you still feel it move. It's amazing to me. The movement that takes place. But when God stops walking, the earth shakes. talking about the might, the vastness, the bigness, the immensity of who God is. We read about Goliath in the Old Testament as he fought David and as David took him out. I don't think if Goliath walked on old Hooper, the house would shake. So we're not just talking about a really big guy. We're talking about an immense powerful God who steps into what he has fashioned and the earth moves. He describes more of that. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains. We talked about traveling east and I talked to you, described some of you to that and how it's kind of cool as you start to travel west And as you start to drive across the plains, all of a sudden you realize you're seeing the Rockies kind of grow up in the horizon. But God kind of steps by and goes, just can flatten them. We feel like they have been there forever. They stand the test of time. They cannot be flattened, and yet God can just flatten them. He levels the eternal hills. 
Why? Because he is the eternal one. He is the one truly who comes from all of time. He is the one truly who is eternal. And Habakkuk is just painting this picture of God, the vastness, the amazingness, the strength, the, the hugeness of who God is. I see the people of Cushion in distress in the nation of Midian trembling and terror. Drop down to verse 9. You brandished your bow in your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. Do you want to be... Now, this is maybe ancient technology. But I don't care what kind of atomic bomb you're going to launch at God. When God's... If he decides to break out a spear a sword, or bows and arrows, I don't want to be on the receiving end. Because if God controls the atoms that we have created, and he created all of that, he decides to let loose with his stuff, we don't stand a chance. We stand no chance. But he's burnishing himself or girding himself for war. It's the whole idea. God is going to go to war. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. All of creation knows the Creator, it all knows. See, He is the mighty one. We talked a couple weeks ago about riding waves and how it's powerful. The depths don't hold any power over God. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. He's describing God going to war. And he's going to war against the nations. And when he does... Nothing anyone brings to the table, nothing anyone brings to the fight is going to work. Because none of it is sufficient to to fight God. None of it. We go on to verse 13. Let's look at verses 13 to 16. Because God is going to war. And here's what he says. You went out to rescue your chosen people. To save the anoint, your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked. And stripped their bones from head to toe. With his own weapons you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind. 
thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled up. I trembled and sighed when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. See, Habakkuk had a dream. He had a vision of what God was going to do. But as he saw that and as he understood that, we see something powerful that is taking place. God is going to bring judgment on those who come against the people of God. He's going to bring judgment. He's going to deal with them. He's going to confront them. He's going to bring his power against them. And there is nothing that they can do to withstand it. Nothing. Nothing. But he's not yet doing it today. Is what Habakkuk is understanding. It's not yet going to happen today. Look again at verse 16. With his own, let me drop down. I tremble inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me. And and I looked in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who will invade us. We need to learn to wait for God's justice. See, Habakkuk started the whole conversation. He started this whole conversation back in Habakkuk 1. God, I am looking around. I see these things that are taking place. God, I see wickedness. I see injustice. I see all sorts of things happening in the culture around us. They are ugly. They are vile. They are terrible. God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to address it? When are you going to confront it? When are you going to turn these things and and make these things right? Just as we stand on the world stage and we watch things happening on the world stage and we say, God, these things don't make sense. I don't understand. When are you going to take all of these things and make it right? When are you going to take all these things and fix them and correct them. God, I don't understand. And God says, Habakkuk, I hear and understand and don't worry. I'm going to send judgment. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And he goes, oh my goodness. You're going to send the Babylonians? They're horrible. They're terrible. They're vile. They're these worst people ever. And you're going to send them against the nation of Israel? God, what are you doing? And God Talks to me and says, I'm going to bring judgment, Habakkuk. Don't worry, I am going to bring judgment. And then he comes back to this conversation. I want you to understand, Habakkuk, who I am. I am God. I am the Almighty One. There is nobody and nothing that can stand against me. I make the nations tremble. I squish the earth beneath me. I stand and I rise above. Nations will tremble and fall before me. But creation knows who I am and it worships me and adores me because as I create it in fashion, it continues to do what I've made it to do. And Habakkuk comes back. He says, God, I will learn to wait for your justice. There's just a lot of stuff going on here right now, God. It doesn't all make sense to me. But I recognize that you are God. 
I am not. You have a perspective. You have a plan that I don't always fully understand. There are things going on that I just don't comprehend. God, I'm just going to step back. I'm going to take my pea brain off the conversation. And I'm just going to wait. And I'm going to trust. I will trust, God, that you're going to bring your justice in your time. We hate waiting. We hate it. We don't enjoy waiting. Anyone here really love stoplights? No, we would like to live life with all green lights. As Jonah and I drove in today, I said, man, it's like we're hitting every red light today. Like, oh, hateness. I like it much more when I get in the car and it's all green lights. We all want to live with green lights. But we need to wait. Wait. And Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I need to learn to wait for your justice. Now here's good news. Next week, Connor's going to give us all the answers on waiting. No, I can't say he's going to give us all the answers, but he's going to wade into this. He's going to talk about this, and particularly he's going to look at Psalm 40. I'd encourage you this week to take some time to look at Psalm 40. But as I have here, you'll see it in your notes. Number Four key questions we're going to try to answer next week. What does waiting feel like? How can we wait well? Why does God make us wait? You ever ask that God, why are you making me wait? There are times where he makes us wait and he has good reasons for that. And we don't always want to listen to the reasons or understand or appreciate the reasons. But there are good reasons. And what does waiting teach us about God? There's a lot to learn about waiting as we understand who God is. Because God is also apparently really patient. And he is really patient. Learn to wait on God's justice. That's part of the challenge And he says there, right again in verse 16, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. He's ready for that day to show up. He wants to see that day of justice take place. But he's also willing to wait. Learning to wait on God's justice. Look at verse 17 and 18. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, And there are no grapes on the vines. Listen to what he's describing here. He's describing barrenness. And there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. He's describing calamity. He's describing the reality of lack. He's describing the reality of what's going to take place as Babylon will come in and wipe out the nation of Israel and cart them off into captivity. He's describing what would be perceived as devastation and loss. Yet, yet, despite these terrible things that I've just described, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord 
I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Within the chaos of waiting, and there's chaos sometimes in the waiting, I choose to trust and praise you. Verse 16 absolutely describes the chaos and the barrenness of what's going to take place. We come to those points of times in our journey where we say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm going to speak in a way that sometimes we feel like it goes, it's going on. God, it feels like everything is going to hell. It feels that way. It feels like it's all falling apart. It's all blowing up. It's crazy. And and Habakkuk comes back, God, I'm going to choose to trust you in the chaos. There's a choice that needs to take place. Habakkuk is making a choice. This is huge. Because faith is all about choice, isn't it? We need to choose to trust. He is choosing to trust God. When it's all apparently falling apart, when all apparently is, is, is blowing up, when everything is flying in ways that we don't expect it to go and things are taking place that we just don't want to have happen. He's choosing to trust because he knows that eventually God is going to bring justice. He knows that in some point in the future, God is going to address the things that are causing that distress. And so he is choosing to trust. And he's choosing to praise. Again, that is a choice. You ever interact with people that say, God, I'm going to trust you, but doggone it, and blah, 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 I'm ticked off with everything you're doing. And they feel in all sorts of language describing their irritation and their aggravation because God is choosing not to act and God is choosing not to move at this moment in time. And so they say, I'm trusting you. But he says, God, I'm going to choose to trust you when the ground is barren, when the crops fail, when the flock is dead in the fields. I'm going to choose to trust you when the calamity comes and a disaster falls. I'm going to choose to trust, but not only am I going to choose to trust, I'm going to choose to praise you. I'm going to choose, as all of this apparently is falling apart and disappearing around me, I choose to declare that you are awesome. I choose to declare that you are great. I choose to declare that you are worthy of my praise. I choose to praise. Verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me 
as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I think this is in your notes. I wrote this out. It says, As I climb the elevated cliffs of faith and trust, fear, doubt, and temptation to question God's wisdom and character seek to make me slip and fall into the deepest, into the depths of dread, doubt, fear, regret, and all sorts of other negative and destructive responses to God. If you've ever done any kind of climbing, any kind of climbing up a cliff or, or, or hiking along trails where there's drops next to you. That's the imagery. But the sovereign Lord is my strength. See, Habakkuk started out with challenging and questioning God. God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? There's unrighteousness. There's wickedness. There's sin. There's injustice. There's all sorts of stuff going on all around me, God. What are you doing? When are you going to change this? When are you going to bring revival? When are you going to bring renewal? When are you going to reveal yourself? And when are you going to wipe out this wickedness and bring about your righteousness and your goodness? God, what are you doing? I'm frustrated. I feel like I'm out here all alone. God, when are you going to do something? And he's pouring out his frustration. He's pouring out his complaint to God. And he comes to the end. I choose. I will trust God. And I choose to find strength, to let God strengthen my faith. That's where he comes to. That is where he comes to. I will trust God. God, I'm going to trust you. A lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. A lot of these things don't fit together. It doesn't always kind of go into places I expect, but I am going to trust you, and God, I am going to choose to let you strengthen my faith. So we walk along the cliffs. God, I'm going to choose to let you strengthen my feet. I'm going to choose to let you strengthen my, my fear. I'm going to choose to let you bolster me so that I can navigate this path well, I wrote here, in frustration, sometimes people say, forget it. Do you ever meet people who sometimes say, forget it? That seems to be a theme in some famous people right now saying to faith, forget it. People say, I'm ticked off at God. It's not, God is not doing what I think he should do. And they say, I'm out. I will look for something else to give me a different answer and to find a different answer that I think I want. However, God does not stop being God. Do you ever notice that? God never stops being God. I've had conversations with people, and people don't like the things that they see around them, and they think that because they don't like the things that they see around them, that God is interchangeable, and they can take the God of creation, the God of the Bible out, and they can replace him with something else. And they say, now I'm going to put a different God in there, and and that new God, he's going to fix everything. But here's the problem. God isn't replaceable. 
God doesn't say, okay, you can change me. I'm, 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 an, I'm an interchangeable piece, and you can change me out for something else. The problem is people want to change God out for something else. But again, as we looked a little bit earlier, and what, talk, talk, looked at what some of God said up in chapter 2, those things don't work because they have voices that don't, they have mouths that don't speak, they have eyes that don't see, they have ears that don't hear. They don't exist. They don't exist. God is God, and he's not interchangeable. He doesn't, he's not replaceable. And just, just because we don't like the things that are going on, and just because at times we don't like the things we see, we want to say to God, well, God, fooey on you. I want to go a different path. I'm going to look for a different answer. I'm going to find something else. And God says, well, you can go look, and you can go try and find, but you're not going to find another me, because I'm the only me that is. There's not another God who exists. And so, listen, you can learn to submit to who I am, and you can learn to submit to the plan that I have, and you can learn to submit to the direction that I lead, and you can learn to do those things. But if you want to go look, go ahead and go look, but there's nothing else out there except lies. And here's the problem. People choose then to believe lies. But when the lies fail, they're left with nothing. They are left with nothing. Habakkuk decides, I'm going to trust. I will trust you, God. And I'm going to choose to let you to strengthen my faith. Now, you see in the notes, Habakkuk 2.4b, but the righteous one will live by faith. That's the theme, I think, of Habakkuk. I really do think it is the theme. Habakkuk begins with frustration. He begins with a cry. He begins with angst. And as he cries out, as he pours out that angst, God listens, God interacts. And Habakkuk comes back and says, okay, God, I recognize that you're going to do something. You're not necessarily going to do things the way that I want. And you're not necessarily going to do things in the timing that I think you should. But you are God. You know the beginning from the end. You know the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, the lefts and the rights. God, you have all of the answers. So, God, I'm going to trust you. And that's part of the challenge for us, isn't it? As our world starts to shift and things take place, for Christians in Afghanistan, what do they need to do? They need to right now trust God. And for us in our state, as we have things going on in our world, what do we need to do? We need to learn to trust God. doesn't mean we have all the answers. We may not have all the answers. And as we climb the hills of life and as we climb the mountains in the landscape of life, what do we ask God to do? We ask God to strengthen our feet. We ask God to give us sure purchase as we hold on to him. I like how the uh, NET reads on this verse. Let me me make sure I'm finding it here. Let me come down, down to verse 19. He says, The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. In the rugged terrain of life. 
God enables us and strengthens us to negotiate and travel the path. That's what God does. And that's what Habakkuk has been crying out, and God strengthens Habakkuk in the process. Now, one more thing I want you to see. Look at that last fill-in. Faith always, always requires a choice. Faith always requires a choice. Either we are going to choose to follow and we're going to choose to listen or we're going to choose something else. Faith always requires a choice. As we talk to people about a relationship with Jesus and as we we walk through that journey, why why do we say you need to ask Jesus to come into your life? You need to ask Jesus to, to apply his saving work to your life. Why? Because there is a choice that needs to be made. There's a point in time where a person, as they come to this point of salvation in their journey, they're either choosing to trust who God is and to trust the saving work of Jesus Christ, or they're going to trust something else. But there is a choice that needs to be made. And then as we step into the journey of life, in each area where God presses you, in each area where God touches you, there is a choice that needs to be made. Early on, when when Joan and I got married, we decided about how we would use our money. There was a choice that we had to make. Are we going to tithe or are we not going to tithe? And that whole journey was a journey of faith. Are we going to trust that God is going to provide for us as we tithe? Or are we going to say we need these monies and we're going to do it differently? There was always a choice. When we step into areas of life and we say, okay, I'm going to choose to live out my faith as a Christian. I'm going to choose to not be silent. I'm going to choose to not be quiet in this environment. I'm going to choose to identify that I'm a follower of Jesus. And in our world right now, that is rapidly, or rapidly maybe better is a better word, identified by our associations, when we say, I choose to identify myself as a follower of Jesus, then we then choose to step into that. That's a choice that we are making, and it's a choice to live by faith. And we're saying, okay, God, in this circumstance, in this situation, I'm trusting you to show up, to give me the strength, to give me the courage. I'm starting to step into net rough terrain. I'm trusting you to strengthen my feet to enable me to step into this place and to live out with the reality of my faith in you in this environment. And we choose to live by faith. We choose to step into these places and trust God. Faith always, always, always requires a choice. And the choice is, yes, God, I'm going to trust you. Or no, God, I'm going to trust something else. There's always, always a choice. Habakkuk is wrestling with God. It is confusing. It doesn't make sense. He thinks things should be significantly different. And he's expecting and desiring that things be significantly different. And he cries out to God and God says, Habakkuk, you can walk with me and trust that I'm going to work. 
but I will probably do it differently than you're expecting and you desire. So Habakkuk, you can trust me, you can lean on me, or you can do something different. What do you choose? Habakkuk chose to trust God. Habakkuk chose, despite the chaos that might come from trusting God, to rest in him and to praise him in the process. Our world is leaning in on us. It is. We are being pressed to hedge our values. We're being pressed to hedge our faith. We're being pressed to shade the gospel. Because there's this incredible press to conform and to agree. And if we don't conform, and if we don't agree, we get canceled or we get called out. Because we don't fit the current norm of what is desired and expected. And every day, we need to choose who we will walk with And we need to choose with whom we will be identified. Habakkuk chose to be identified with the Lord. Who do you choose to be identified with? Faith always, always requires a choice. Always. Let's pray. Fathers, we have wrestled through the conversation that you had with Habakkuk, and as we were given the privilege to listen into and understand his frustrations and his tensions, Father, we would ask that you would meet us in our journey just as you met Habakkuk in his. And Father, just as you were able to help Habakkuk clarify and say, I will trust the Lord. Lord, I would ask that you would help us to choose to trust you. But Father, not only did Habakkuk choose to trust you, but Father Habakkuk also chose to praise you and to not allow the the devastation of circumstances around him to move him to resentment and bitterness and anger. But Father, he chose to declare the awesomeness and the goodness of who you are. Lord, I would ask that same thing, that you would continue to move us to declare that you are awesome, you are amazing, and you are worthy of all the praise and adoration we can bring, that you would move us to those places of faith to trust and to praise. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love that last sentence. Faith always requires us to make a choice. And in the midst of all the craziness going on around us in the world, as we watch earthquakes in Haiti and thousands of people dying, as we watch the mess in Afghanistan, as we sit and we 
daily here, reports from this side, reports from that side, and we're trying to figure out who are we going to trust. There's one person we can trust, and that is the one who created it all, the one who's coming back again with justice, with grace and mercy for those who place their faith in him. And so I would encourage you this morning as, as you are thinking of as the world just bombards you, as, as, as you walk through life daily and you just can't take it anymore, choose to trust. Choose to trust the one who's got it all in the palm of his hand. We recognize that none of this has ever escaped God's view. He isn't asleep. He didn't decide to take a nap while this mess of uh, life is happening around us right now. He sees it. He knows it. He has allowed it. And he's allowed it so that in the midst of it, we can learn to trust him, so we can learn to praise him and rely on him in the middle of the storm. So I would encourage you to be spending some time thinking about that this week. As you come face to face with those things, make a conscious decision to trust God. We're going to take our offering in a moment. It's going to come from the back forward. Um, as the plates pass your rope, feel free to stand and join us as we sing one last song. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, for being there. Thank you that we don't have to, to trust in chariots. We don't have to trust in man. We don't have to trust in leaders. We can trust in you the one who created everything, the one who put it all into place, the one who oversees all of it right now, the one who has a plan, the one who one day will return for those who choose to trust in you. Father, cause us to trust you when it's hard. Cause us to trust you when we don't know what else to do. Cause us to trust you. Cause us to trust you. Fathers, we give now. We ask that you would help us to give. Because we trust you. We trust you to supply all of our needs. And so we give back to you. That we might be able to take this message out to the world that there is one that can be trusted amidst everything else that seems to be falling down around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, his strong, strong name.